You are listening to the Grace Capital Church Podcast, broadcasting from our Pittsfield campus. Um, Before I get going, I want to just share, uh, uh, I heard from Mike and Kathy this morning, they're on their way to Tennessee from Virginia, and uh, they just texted to say, let everybody know that we miss them, we love them, and there's nothing you can do about it. So we, we can't go a Sunday without hearing that, right? We just didn't hear it directly from Mike. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Bob McGann. I'm one of the elders here at GCC Pittsfield. And when Mike and Kathy were planning their vacation, he asked me if I would share this morning. And I always say yes, because it's an honor uh, to share with you here this morning. Last week, Mary Beth and I were away. We were in Virginia uh, visiting with my family. My brother threw a big party, and all my brothers and sisters were there. And I saw some nieces and nephews from North Carolina. Um, my brother's planting a church in a rural very rural county in Virginia. It's about 45 minutes south of Charlottesville, and there's nothing in Nelson County, Virginia, (laughs) other than my brother's church. Um, So um, I had a great time there, and he actually asked me to preach uh, while I was there. So this is the first time in a very long time that I've preached two Sundays in a row um, while working, uh, which is always fun. Um, But in my past life, I was a bivocational pastor at my, at my previous church, so I did that a lot. Um, so I planned to get an early start because I knew Mary Beth was finishing school, so I figured I'd do all my prep work and planning work while she was still in school so that when she was out of school, we could actually look at each other and spend some time together. So, um, so I've been ready to preach this message for about three weeks, so I'm really looking forward to sharing it with you this morning. But I want you to know... One thing, and and as you hear Mike and Kathy share from time to time, when I was learning under my previous pastor for prepping messages, he told me, if you want to preach well, you should plan to prepare for an hour for every minute you want to speak. So if Mike and Kathy preach roughly 30, 35 minutes, that's about 30 to 35 hours because they do it very well, right? Uh, And so it's a very, 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 very big time commitment. Um, but it's actually one of the most rewarding things I've ever done is, is to share a, a message with you on Sundays. So today, I want you to answer two questions about yourself. How's your eyesight? <laughs> and Mary Beth's just getting her glasses, so hers is getting better. How's your eyesight and how is your memory? So I want you to think about those two questions and we'll, we'll spend a little more time with them as we get to the end of our conversation this morning. But seeing and remembering are important parts of our walk with Jesus because we need to see what he's doing in front of us and we need to remember what he's done for us and those things that go together as we walk with him. So there's a story about three sons who left home. They were very prosperous and they decided they were each going to give their mother a gift. And so the first son, they were all together and they were sharing with each other what they'd done. And the first son says, well, I gave mom a really big house. And the next son says, well... I gave her a Mercedes and a driver. And the next son says, well, I got you all beat. He says, you know how mom loves scripture and she can't see very well? So I gave her this parrot. The elders of our church took 12 years to train this parrot. And the parrot will recite chapter and verse. So all mom has to do is give the chapter and the verse and the parrot will say what the verse is. So mom gets around to writing her thank you notes and she writes to her first son, thank you for the big house. I don't eat a lot. I really only spend time in one room and then I have to clean the whole thing. The second son gets the thank you note that says, 
Um, I don't go out very much. I spend most of my time at home, so I don't really use the car, and the driver's actually very rude, so I don't like to go out in the car. She gets to the third son, and she says, Son, you finally know what I like. Thank you. The chicken was delicious. So apparently seeing and remembering was not on the top of her list. So speaking of remembering, I, I want to try and, and take you back a few weeks when we were working through the Rock series as we were looking at the, the book of First Peter. And it gives a good background to where I want to go today. So in the letter in First Peter, Peter's writing to give practical help to Christians dealing with daily problems. That's a great book. If you haven't read it, spend some time in First Peter. He starts by reminding us that we all face trials. They come in many shapes and sizes. He says we can expect them to come. So if you become a Christian and you are a Christian, you should expect an occasional trial. Some of us have expected and gone through many trials. They can be hard to deal with, but with God's help, we can always make it through. He also says in spite of the trials in our lives, we're to live in hope. And hope is not a futile wishing for good things or for a good future, but hope is a confident expectation that God will work. A confident expectation that God will work. And it's based upon his character. So I want you to think about that definition the next time you say something like, I hope so. Are you wishing or are you confident in God? Because it's a confident expectation. We can have hope in the midst of trial, Peter tells us, because... We are chosen of God. He loves us. He chose us. That we are born of God. God not only loved us, but he made us his children. He said that we were adopted as sons and daughters. That we are destined for good things. We have an incorruptible inheritance, he says. It's an inheritance that can't go away. And that we're shielded by God's power. That we're completely protected as we face the various trials. He will take care of us through the things that we walk through. Therefore, we can have joy in the midst of trials and we can grow on a spiritual level. Because we have hope, then, we're called to live in holiness. To do that, Peter calls us to control our minds, to imitate our master, to inquire of the scriptures, and to anticipate judgment and confirm our faith to make sure we understand who we are and what we do with Jesus. In living holy lives, we are to live in harmony with one another. Peter calls us to holiness. The word holiness is really the idea of being different than the world. It's not that we have to be um, some high holy priest, right? But we have to be separated and different from what the world is doing. He calls us to live in harmony, and in response to that holy life, we live. We have a fond affection for one another, a brotherly love for one another, but in 1 Peter, he calls us to be, to love one another deeply from the heart. And that's a different kind of love than just a, I love you, and it was the love that that Alan was talking about earlier, that we love one another, we take care of one another, and that's loving one another deeply from the heart. We seek to live in unity because we're children in the same family. Peter also calls us in 1 Peter to live as a herald or to live advertising Jesus. To be always talking about him wherever we are. 
as Nicole was saying, as she was in Hannaford and those sort of things, to share what he's done in our lives. And to do that, that to do a good job of av- advertising Jesus, we have to live humbly. We have to live a life of submission to God, submission to government, submission to our bosses, to our spouses, submission to one another. Those are all the things that bring that humble living. And finally, Peter calls us to live honorably, to live redeeming the time. We don't want to waste our lives. We want to do, I remember a message I heard when I first came to Grace, we want to do the best thing, not the better thing. Right? We want to do the best thing for God. So we want to waste our lives. We've wasted enough time living like the world. So we want to control our tongues. We want to control those desires. We want to give. We want to praise the Lord. So you may have trials. We all do. But in the trials, we gain help from faithful leaders over us, like Mike and Kathy and your elders. We get help from faithful followers that walk alongside us, like our life group members, our close friends. And we also help ourselves by resisting the forces of Satan that want to fight against us, taking those thoughts captive. When we control our minds, that thought comes in, and you probably say, well, that's probably not God. And if you say that to yourself, it's probably not God saying it. So those are the lessons that we learned from the book of 1 Peter. So I share that summary so you have some context for what I want to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles with me, turn to the towards the back in 2 Peter. We're going to go to 2 Peter. In Peter's second epistle, he has a different focus. But once again, he's writing to remind us of the things that we know to be true. And later in the book, he actually writes, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you that I've written, both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. So I'm going to read from 2 Peter 1, 1 through 11. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I want to give you two visual pictures to help frame the verses but before we get to those two questions that I asked earlier. So typically when uh, we look at this passage, people want to look at the, 
verses 5 through 7 where it talks about all the things that you should add to your faith. And I'm not going to go deep into them today. I'm going to leave those for you to go read and think about. So the first word picture is think back to when you were a toddler, maybe four or five years old, and your mom serves up something you didn't like, like broccoli or Brussels sprouts or asparagus, all those things I didn't like then that I love now. So you don't like it. It tastes disgusting. So what does your mom say? She says, if you want to grow up to be big and strong, you need to eat your vegetables. Or she'd say, take your vitamins if you want to be healthy. So God lists here in those verses spiritual vegetables or spiritual vitamins that we should be taking, and we'll spend a little time with those in a minute. Mary Beth and I go to the gym four days a week, and this month of June we've been doing this challenge at the gym called alphabet vegetables, and we're supposed to eat a vegetable that begins with each letter of the alphabet. Some of them are very easy, but I want you to come up with an, a vegetable that starts with I. And if you know one, then come up to me and I'll be happy to. So to go, iceberg lettuce. Yeah, but that's boring. Iceberg lettuce. <laughs> so so the, the second word picture, the second word picture I want you to get is maybe you're a little older, you're in high school, and you're getting ready to go on a date. So getting ready for some guys is a 30-second routine. Sniff a couple armpits, throw on a little deodorant, you know, throw the hair the right way, and you're on your way out the door. But some of the ladies may take a little longer to get ready for a date like that. But getting ready is much more than just clothes and what you wear. You want to make sure your teeth are brushed, your breath smells good, you want to have mints in your pocket, you want to have guys... Always have enough cash because you never know when the good steak's coming. So you need to make sure you can pay for it. So you have to be prepared. So those two examples, take your vitamins and make sure every aspect of your appearance is ready. So with that in mind, let's consider what Peter has to say. Peter, again, is writing to Christians and he reminds us that we have a precious faith. In verse 3, he reminds us that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. What does everything mean? Everything. He didn't say he gave us some things or just some of the things or only a part of the things, but he gave us everything we need for life and godliness. So we can't blame our lack of spiritual maturity on God because he's already given us everything we need. It's like when most ladies are getting ready, they pull clothes out of the closet, decide what they're going to wear. So look at it this way. God has already filled your closet with everything you need for life and godliness. He's given you a full bottle of vitamins. Your job is to open the bottle and take them. So practically, that means that you need to spend time with your Bible and your journal to see what God wants to show you about himself and about you. It also means that you should probably be involved in a life group, living life with others who can support you and walk through life with you. Practically, it means you need to get out and serve other people because we learn best when we're on the job training. And so when we're serving, we're focused on him. God has given us great and precious promises, verse 4 tells us. If we want to have peace in our hearts, hope for those difficult days, joy in the midst of pain, we need to remember the hundreds of promises that God has given us in his word. And here are just a few that came to mind. 
Romans 8, 38 to 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Proverbs 133, But all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by fear of harm. The key to that promise is those who listen to me. If we're not spending time with him and hearing him, then we're going to have fear. But if we're listening to him, then we can go through life without that fear. Philippians 4.19, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Deuteronomy 31.8, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And the last one, James 4.7, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Psalm 119.11 states that I have hidden your word in my heart. And the word hidden means to treasure. So we should handle the scriptures like a precious gift and make every effort to keep them close to our hearts. The second part of the verse says that I might not sin against you. So obedience to God will be a natural outcome in a heart that treasures the word of God. Dr. Billy Graham once said, the Bible is the only thing that can, can, that can combat the devil. Quote the scriptures and the devil will run. Yet, scripture memory is where we tend to drop the ball. I'm included in that group. Instead of tackling the enemy, we face life unprepared, like a football player going onto the field without his pads. Sooner or later, we get hit with struggles, decisions, trials, and if, we're, if we don't have the defense of Scripture, then we're going to be in trouble. So I believe God wants us to have Scripture on the tip of our tongue. And the only way to accomplish this is to memorize, to memorize Scripture. And this takes time and hard work. I was at a men's retreat a number of years ago, and the guy that was leading the retreat's name was Pete Cook. Pete was probably mid-70s when he was leading the retreat. He's gone to be with the Lord now. And he would teach like I'm teaching to you today, and he would never open a Bible. He'd say, in Second Peter it says, and it would just come out of his mouth. And I was, I was amazed, absolutely amazed. I don't think I'll ever get there, but that's kind of my goal. And so I, I personally need to kind of rethink memorizing Scripture because we have the Bible so we can read. We have our phones we can pull out, Right? But what if we don't have those things someday? We need to have it here, and we need to have it here. And when we have that, we can defend ourselves. We can take those thoughts captive because we have Scripture to counteract what Satan's trying to tell us. So later today, I'm going to post out on the Pittsfield Facebook page 10 practical tips for Scripture memory. I found it online. I'm just going to post it out there for everybody to see. And uh, I'm going to try and pick up my Scripture memory process going forward. But God's also given us a divine nature. It's not that we are God, but when we place our faith in Christ, God changes us, and he gives us a new nature, one that is not controlled by sinful desires. We still have our sinful tendencies that we're born with. God doesn't take away that sinful nature. 
That will happen when we see him in heaven. But he does give us a new nature, one that is not under the bondage of sin. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans 8, starting right in verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in sinful man, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what, nature, on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So to help us grow spiritually, God has given us his word, He's placed his spirit inside of us and he's given us a new nature. He says in verse 4, so that through them you may escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We don't have to live our lives constantly giving in to lust and to greed and to pride and corruption and lies and all those things because we are set free from the power of sin over us. Did you hear that? We are set free from the power of sin. You don't have to sin because God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Peter goes on in verse 5 to tell us that for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. You see, we need to have a faith that grows. There are far too many Christians who are spiritually content and they never grow spiritually. The author of Hebrews says, you've been Christians a long time now and you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things a beginner must learn about the scriptures. You are like babies who drink only milk and cannot eat solid food. Like a baby that can only drink a bottle of formula, many Christians say, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. But they never experience the full, abundant life that God wants them to experience, to walking in the Spirit. So today I want you to look at yourself. How are you growing spiritually? To grow to be the men and women God wants us to be, we need to focus on our one-a-day spiritual vitamins. So to grow spiritually, we need those one-a-day vitamins. Seven things we need to work on adding to our faith. Seven things that we need to look at about ourselves to be all that God wants us to be. So let's take a look at them. First, we add to our faith goodness. Goodness is virtue or moral excellence. 
In the Greek world, something that was virtuous was something that fulfilled the purpose it was designed for. In the Christian life, we often compare ourselves to others. And I think Pastor Kathy covered that, comparing ourselves to one another very well in her message recently. We shouldn't be saying things like, I can't preach like that, or I can't sing like this person, or I don't pray like that person. But building goodness and virtue is being the best me that I can be, and you being the best you that you can be. He doesn't want us to be imitators of others. He wants us to be imitators of him. He wants us to be the best me that I can be. So to look at ourselves, how are we doing at building on the strengths God's given us? We each have an area of strength, a spiritual gift that God wants us to use to his glory. So add to faith goodness. And then knowledge. Knowledge is practical, experiential insight. It's not picking up more facts. It's the idea of a personal, intimate relationship. Experiencing more of God in your daily life. That's knowledge. Take a look at yourself. Are you growing to know your God more? Or are things at a standstill in your relationship? If the answer to either of those is yes, perhaps you need to pick up a journal and perhaps you need to find a life group so that you can have others around you to encourage you along. Then we add to knowledge self-control or temperance, the idea of having a balanced life, knowing when to say no. Sometimes we're either a flash of flame or a cold stick, but God wants us to be a steadily burning fire. He wants us just to be consistent and have that self-control. Self-control means making wise choices in our lives, not merely going along with the crowd, not making decisions based on feelings, but choosing to do that which we know is the right thing to do. And you know what the right thing to do is when you know what's in the Word. Perseverance. This is the idea of remaining steadfast, never giving up, Too many Christians are like the seeds sown on rocky places in the parable of the sower. They spring up quickly, but when trouble comes, they wither away. Take a look at yourself. Is your love for God dependent on circumstances? Or can you love God even when you're going through difficult times? Most of you know the difficulties we're having with our eldest daughter. And it is a trial that we are being sustained through by a number of things. First, God. Second, this church family. And third, our uh, physical family, our blood family. So, can you continue to love God even through those difficult times? Then we have to add godliness. Godliness has the idea of how well do we worship? Are we able to worship God regardless of those circumstances? Perseverance means we don't give up. But godliness means we continue to praise God regardless of what we're going through. Just like Job in the Old Testament who blessed God even when he lost everything that was dear to him. We add brotherly kindness. This is the idea of loving others like they were part of our family. You can choose your friends but you're stuck with your family. Sometimes we have people in our family that we don't really like We don't really connect with, but we love them because they're our family. Brotherly kindness is that same idea. We show love to others because they're part of our spiritual family. 
Take a look at yourself. How do we do at loving everyone? And then finally, the last thing we have to add is love. Not just loving your brothers and sisters in Christ or your spiritual family, but loving even those who hate you and mock you and call you names and cut you down and intentionally are cruel and seek to inflict pain. We have to love those too. Because we are to be an example to them of how God loves. And that's how God loves. He loves everyone. So Peter, in essence, in this first chapter, writes to us and says, grow up. Grow up. It's time to get into solid food. It's time to start taking the vitamins. It's time to start picking the vegetables. So what do we need to do? We need to look at ourselves and evaluate how we look in these areas. Have we added goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love? Is our faith growing? There's seven of them. So you could work on a different one each day of the week. Just like I have to try and find an end vegetable before the end of the month. You got something you can do each day. You can focus on each of those spiritual vitamins we need to focus on. But Peter says in verse 8, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, that is, if you are growing in these seven areas, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if there's something that's going to keep me from being unproductive, I'm going to focus on it because I want to be productive in my knowledge of Jesus Christ. To state that another way, if we build these traits into our lives, then we will be useful and fruitful for God. And at the end of the day, that's our job. Because he created us to do good works. And so we need to be built up in that. So do you want God to use you? Then take your one-a-day vitamins. Do you want to see fruit in your life? Then focus on the one-a-day vitamins. But what happens if you don't? In verse 9, Peter says, But if anyone does not have them, he is short-sighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Have you ever been around someone who's nearsighted? They don't see things out in the distance. They can only see what's right in front of them. So the first question I asked earlier was, how is your spiritual eyesight? Do you live each day only thinking about today, only thinking about your problems and your struggles, or do you take time to think about how God could do great things through your life? Do you think about how you can play a part in the lives of others? Far too many Christians have spiritual myopia or nearsightedness. I once had a, a friend who called it koinonitis. Koinonia means fellowship. When you have a life group that's been together too long and they're not adding new members, we call it, they get koinonitis because they, or uh, belly button syndrome because they're always looking in at themselves. The second question, how is your memory? I recently changed, changed jobs and a former client of mine from the North Country called, left me a message, said he saw my picture in the paper and would I call him back? He wanted to talk to me. At the end of the message, he said, you can call me at uh, mm, I can't remember my number. I'll have to call you back. <laughs> so I called him right back because my phone system told me his number. But spiritually, we also lose our memory. 
We can go through life and forget the things that God has done, some of the amazing things that God has done for us. So when we're not taking our spiritual one-a-days, we don't grow spiritually. We become complacent and we forget what God has done for us. We can be ungrateful and selfish only to turn to God with a list of things that we need to make our life be better. As you look at yourself today, how is your memory? Do you take time to think about all that God has done for you? I'm going to put in another plug for journaling. Because a lot of times God speaks to me in my journal and I can write it down. And when I get into one of those dry places, those desert places where I think God's not talking or he's not doing anything, I can pull out my old journals and I can start reading. And I can see the things that God talked to me about. And I can remember, oh yeah, he does speak. And I can put that journal away and figure out why I'm in this quiet place. And figure out what I need to do. So Peter's summary in verse 10 says, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. He's not saying that you get saved by growing in these seven areas. It's actually the opposite. When you grow in these seven areas, when you bear fruit and you're useful to God, when you can see that God is at work and you remember all that he's done for you, it confirms your salvation. It's an indicator that God is working in your life. Today, 2 Peter gives us a call to look at ourselves. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? How is your vision? How is your memory? Are you taking your one-a-days? Take some time to reflect on your life and see which of these seven areas you need to work on. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. You see, God has placed us here in Pittsfield and these surrounding communities to transform those communities. But my friends, that transformation begins here with us. When we transform ourselves, we can transform the communities that we live in. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this morning. I thank you, Father, for the word that you are encouraging us, Lord, to focus on building our faith, growing our faith into the ways that we can be fruitful for you, Lord. And so, Father, we acknowledge each of us, Lord, that there are times when we're not focused on the important things. And so, Lord, I ask that you would remind us and bring us back to the things that are important, Lord. Give us all the ability, Father, to to hide your word in our heart, Lord, so we can combat the things that the enemy wants to bring against us, Lord. And so, Father, I ask that you'd be with us today, that we'd have a great time with our families, with the beautiful weather, Lord. We ask you'd be with Mike and Kathy as they're traveling. Give them uh, safe travels, Lord, and give them a great relaxing time. And we just thank you and praise you. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, we'll be up front. Otherwise, have a fantastic day. Thank you for listening to the Grace Capital Church podcast. If you'd like to know more about this podcast and the mission that we have in New England, or if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to support this ministry financially, please visit us online at gccnh.com 